The New Testament reading is taken from Romans 15, verses 4 to 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray again together. Father, we thank you today for your most holy word, and Lord, we acknowledge its authority, and we submit to its authority. It's your word and not man's. And we pray, Father God, that the entrance of your word today into our hearts and minds would bring light, that it would search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us, that the word of life today would lead us in the way everlasting, and we depend upon your Holy Spirit today to be our teacher. And so, Spirit of the living God, we bow before you, and we ask that you would instruct us and shape us, O sanctifier of the faithful, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking today at Romans chapter 15, and it would be good if you had your Bibles in front of you uh, to resort to the text, because today's passage is one of those passages that demands extra context. Would you like a little extra ground context on your sermon today? Yes, please, I would. There are some strong statements in this passage here that if we're not careful, they can be easily twisted and they can be easily misapplied to the life of the church. Paul writes very clearly in verses five and seven that we need to live in harmony with each other, and our practice needs to be the practice of welcoming one another. You as the people of God, you must live in harmony, and you must welcome one another, even as Christ has welcomed us. We are to be, as we read in verses one to three, an outward-looking community that strives to build each other up, bearing with each other's failings. Now, as soon as Paul says that we are to bear with, we are to be patient with the failings of the weak, and so embrace them despite their weakness, as soon as he says this, various teachers in the church will take this and they will build a very generous if not very orthodox, theology around it. The church, they say, should be primarily a place of welcome, a place of acceptance, 
because that's what Christ does. He receives sinners. He welcomes sinners to himself. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, which of course is very true. And if ever a church should suggest otherwise in any degree, then these teachers rise up and they cry foul. And to embolden their claim, they turn back to Romans 14, right before our chapter today, and they repeat Paul's words. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? For all of us must stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. Therefore, Paul says, let us not pass judgment on anyone any longer. Well, that can sound very convincing. And so they say this is what the church should be. It should be the institution of love, the place where we welcome each other, where we live in harmony with each other, and where there is no judgment on anyone's belief or in anyone's lifestyle. We're all broken, they say. We're all sinners. We're all weak. And the Lord's cardinal commandment is thou shalt not judge. And none of us has the right to pass judgment on our brother or our sister, lest we make ourselves hypocrites. In this confusing life, where none of us really has the capacity to really understand very much at all, the safest and the most Christian route is just to love and to accept and to embrace. And what you'll find is that the gospel from the mouths of teachers like these is reduced to the non-judgmental acceptance of everybody in the name of the love of God. And where anyone departs from that vision of the gospel, they're quickly labeled with the tag of unloving. Oh, that's that unloving church over there. They're very judgmental, those folk. Well, I want today very briefly to help you to understand that the welcome and the harmony that Paul speaks about in Romans 15 is not the carte blanche acceptance that many make it out to be. And the key here, as usual, is context. (laughs) Grind a little context here. In chapter 14, if you look back, Paul does say that we must not pass judgment on one another. The faith that you have, he says in 1422, this faith you keep between yourself and God to each his own, as it were. I mean, it sounds an awful like a lot like the 21st century Canadian etiquette, live and let live, to each her own. Let's just be polite and courteous and let's celebrate our differences. And that mentality, which is actually very important in the political sphere, is not what's supposed to be in the church. If we leave it at that, If we say that the Christian community is defined as the community that does not pass judgment, that simply loves and welcomes, then we have no framework whatsoever to understand the stern judgments of the New Testament. We're not equipped to understand the very frequent judgments of the apostle against believers and the judgments he requires us to make against God's people those who profess to belong to Christ. And so if you look back even further to chapter 13, 
at verse 13, Paul makes some very clear judgments as to what the Christian life must look like. Let us cast off the works of darkness, he says, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and not in jealousy. You see, Paul draws some very clear lines here as he does in so many other places in the New Testament. He lets us know what is appropriate for Christian belief and he lets us know what is inappropriate for Christian practice. Where these things are denied, Paul gets very earnest and he gets very agitated indeed. Wherever a person or a group of people in the New Testament starts to pull away from the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, right practice, whenever they pull away from what Paul has committed to the church in the gospel, Paul commands the people of God to change tack, to change direction. He commands the church not to welcome these people, but rather to reject them. And so just one chapter ahead of us, if you now go forward to chapter 16, Paul has this to say, starting at verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch for those who cause divisions and who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And what does he say? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And this is not an exception for Paul here. Paul everywhere says these kinds of things. You recall in Galatians, Paul tells us that he had to confront Peter face-to-face in a very painful, intense conflict because Peter was denying the gospel. And it wasn't the first time that Peter had grown fearful and turned away from the Lord. And Peter was leading others astray in the church. And in the same book in Galatians, Paul warns against the leaven that leavens the whole lump. Preachers who are what? Preachers who are removing the offense of the cross from the message of the gospel. And Paul, if you recall in Galatians, has some very stern words for those uh, those people uh, in the church in Galatia. In fact, across the whole of the New Testament, Paul and the other apostles, they judge many people. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, Paul says to Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, if anyone teaches in a way that doesn't accord or agree with godliness, that is obedience to the word. What does Paul say? Timothy, have nothing to do with these people. Flee these things, Timothy. And so Paul has the same words for Titus. Titus, there are people out there who profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. They are detestable, (laughs) disobedient, unfit for any good work. Oh, and by the way, Titus, don't judge anybody because that's not a Christian thing to do. You recall what Paul had to say about the sexual immoral man in Corinth. Corinth was quite proud of itself because it had welcomed this sinner into their midst. They had welcomed him and they were living in harmony with him. Gosh, Paul, isn't this what you told us to do? To love, to welcome, to live in harmony? 
And what does Paul say to the church at Corinth? Your boasting is not good. Your boasting in how inclusive you are, in how welcoming you are, in how loving and non-judgmental you are, it's not good, it's bad. Don't you know what you're dealing with here? You're dealing with sin. Don't you know, Corinthians, that a little leaven, he says it again, leavens the whole lump? And so he says, let the one who is sinning obstinately be what? Let him be removed from you. Don't associate, he says, with the sexually immoral. I don't mean the world, Paul says. I don't mean take yourselves out of the world. That's God's business to judge the world. It's not the church's business to judge the world. But if someone claims to be a brother in the Lord and they deny the doctrine that accords with godliness, if they live in open rebellion to the word, then do not even eat with such a person, Paul says. Why? Well, because God judges the outsiders. You, church, he says. 1 Corinthians 5.12. You, church, are to judge the inside. Oh, and by the way, Corinth, love, accept, welcome everybody, and don't judge, because it's not a very Christian thing to do. Well, then we need to ask ourselves, what does Paul mean by Romans 14 and 15? Well, in chapter 14, where Paul says that we're not to pass judgment on each other, he means this in respect to secondary matters. In the life of the Christian, there are primary matters and there are secondary matters. There are matters that are non-negotiable, and there are matters that are indifferent. Primary matters are those teachings that are essential to the faith. These are things that are clearly and unequivocally taught in Scripture, teachings about God, teachings about humanity, teachings about sin and salvations. These are gospel issues. And this is why we're a creedal church. We confess every Sunday the creed because we don't want to forget that some things must not be forgotten. There are some things that are absolutely essential and primary because faith is not just faith. Faith is the obedience of the faith, as Paul terms it. Faith limits. Faith confines. Faith, in the experience of true faith, hems us in by the mountains of God's word. And so some things are absolutely primary. But some things are secondary in this life. Things that are neither commanded nor forbidden by the word of God. Whether you can enjoy your pipe on an early Sunday morning walk, whether you can read your Bible with that classy brandy snifter in your hand, whether it's lawful or not to read the catcher in the rye, the number of children you have, how you should think about contraception, whether or not you observe Lent, or whether you observe it but eat sausages on Lent, whether you can have an image of Hugh Latimer and George Whitfield carved into the new pulpit of the coming Christ Church building, Deo Valente, whether all these things, you know, these are not expressed commands in Scripture. They're not expressly forbidden. And Paul's only point in Romans 14 and in 15 is, brothers and sisters, don't get hung up on things that are secondary. If someone bows at the name of Jesus while they're saying the creed, don't get hung up on it. If someone crosses themselves when they say that the resurrection to everlasting life, don't get hung up on these things. These are secondary. They're not essential to our faith. With respect to these things, Paul says, live to the Lord and let your brother and sister live to the Lord. Just do this. Don't take your freedom 
what you feel God's calling you to do, don't take that freedom and trample on your brother or your sister who's weak in the faith. In view of secondary matters, in view of matters that are indifferent, let each of us, as he says in chapter 15, verse 2, let each of us build each other up. Let that be the rule of your freedom in Christ with respect to secondary issues. But with respect to primary matters, where God has expressly commanded something or where he has expressly forbidden something, then Paul commands the church to make a judgment. Declare these things, Titus. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. And Titus, let no man disregard you. And so Christian harmony, then, as Paul talks about today in Romans 15, has a definite shape to it. Romans 15, verse 5, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, how is it that we're to live in harmony with one another? We live in harmony, he says, in accord with Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus Christ is the bond of our unity. He is the focus of our unity. He is the shape and he is the meaning of our unity. It's not some fuzzy, ill-defined Christ with some fuzzy, ill-defined message. (laughs) But a Christ who comes to us with a definite word. A Christ who comes to us with a definite reign and a definite rule, and a definite way of conveying himself to us, a Christ who comes with a definite and clearly expressed will for our lives. Let your togetherness, Paul says, be a togetherness that is shaped by the word and the will and the wisdom of our Lord Jesus. For any other togetherness that you can possibly imagine is no togetherness at all. It's just a myth. It's just a fantasy. Therefore, verse 7, when you, when you welcome each other in community, I want you to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Well, of course, that begs the question, doesn't it? How did Christ welcome you? Did Christ welcome you without any conditions? Did he just say, come, sinner, come? No need to be changed. When Christ calls a man, writes Bonhoeffer, he bids him to come and die. If anyone would come after me, says Jesus, just come and don't worry about it. Just be yourself. No. If anyone would come after me, he says, let him deny himself. That is, his opinions, his worldview, his rebellion against God's word. And let him take up his cross That is, let that person be decided, I will live a life of hardship for the sake of the gospel, and then let that person follow me. You see, Christ has welcomed you as your Savior, but he's also welcomed you as your Lord. He welcomes you into a kingdom, a kingdom which has a very definite rule, a kingdom which is governed by very definite commandments. And the transforming work of grace in a disciple's heart is to make a man or a woman love the commandments of God, all of them, 
No longer a stiff-necked and a rebellious people, but a people to whom the commandments of God are sweeter than honey. And when Christ comes in this way as Redeemer and Lord, it is the basis of our community. When this definite Christ gives definite shape to a definite concrete community, then we can then, with one voice, glorify God. And I don't think there's any better illustration of the liturgy in all of the New Testament than right here, verse 6, that together with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To worship is not about God's people gathering together to give expression to their individual whimsies. That's not what worship is about, according to Paul. It's to be so fixed on the definite Christ, so fixed on the definite will of Christ, that we can all rejoice and say the same word of Christ together. Just as we read in Revelation 15, the church which had conquered the beast and its image It stood beside the sea of glass, and together they declare the same song of Moses and of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King and ruler of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord? And who will not glorify your name? For you alone are holy." God desires to build a community in his son. Not a community without form and void, not darkness over the deep, not chaos, but a community under the spirit that is shaped and thrives by the creative power of God's expressed word, the word that endures forever, the word that is and was preached to you. And so today I want to very freely welcome you to Jesus. Jesus comes to seek, and he comes to save that which was lost. He comes to seek and to welcome everyone who has rejected the idea and the person of God. He comes to welcome everyone who has foolishly thought that she can reject God's laws and thrive. He comes to rescue and save those trapped in unbelief, in those trapped in doubt, in those trapped in confusion and fragmentation. He comes to rescue those trapped in the guilty and the sticky pleasures of this life. Jesus invites everyone everywhere to repent today, to turn their backs on their sins and to pursue the righteous rule of his kingdom. He says very clearly there's a way out of the mess today. He says very clearly there's a way out of the confusion. There's a way out of the darkness. There is a way back to God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you'll hear many people in this world saying that is the way, that is the truth, that is the life. And Jesus is the only one that you'll ever hear say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he invites you today, whatever has happened, to stop your sin and to turn to him, to stop rebelling, and today to submit to the authority of his word. And he gives you the power to do it. And so in Paul's word, may the God of hope today fill everyone in this place with joy and with peace in believing, and may God even now grant the power of repentance and faith 
so that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.